Hey guys, it's Fayon here. Passive Hang, episode 63. We have Slava Golubov joining us on the podcast, who is the founder of Movement Flow, a system which combines contemporary dance, capoeira, acrobatics, yoga, and many other influences into this seamless mix of floor-based movements and transitions. Today, we get to hear how Slava approaches his own practice and how that's evolved over the years and the story behind Movement Flow and how he constructed this interesting system. We're going to get started and I'll see you in the conversation. Episode 63, I have Slava Golubov from oh, the founder of Movement Flow on the podcast. Excited to connect with you, Slava. I've been following your adventures for a while. You're always posting, um, yeah, really interesting visual movement in a mm-hmm. way which is, yeah, capturing this uh, sense of a particular type of aesthetic, which I think is quite attractive. And then I dug into you know, your account and so, um, have seen that you have a whole system set up to teach this style of movement as well movement flow so interested in digging into that and where that has all come from but maybe where i'd like to start is you're actually traveling around quite a lot at the moment so maybe just for the listeners where are you at the moment uh we are in colombia so why don't i give you a quick look so we are in our airbnb and this is medellin Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were in uh, Mexico in Veracruz and Playa de Carmen, and we just finished teaching, I think it was about four courses. We taught four courses there, took a little time for ourselves, and now we're back on the road. So what's it like introducing your style of movement to people in Colombia? Do they, yeah, what's the culture like there with this sort of Mm -hmm. uh, movement practice? I would love to answer that question, but we just got here two days ago, so I I don't know yet. Uh, One of our students invited us down here, and this is more of a vacation, so we're not working down here. We're just getting to know the community, and there's a few movement uh, studios that we're going to check out. But uh, I could definitely answer that question in Mexico, and it's very receptive. I, I find the movement flow system in itself, it has enough diversity that when somebody comes to the course, they feel comfortable in an element of the system. So either they've done yoga or they've done contemporary dance or they've done some hand balancing or they've done just some general movement. They can see it, they can uh, approach it. And then there's a whole other world that's inside of it. So it's been received really well. Awesome. Yeah. Because I guess my experience is only very much within Australia and Australian Mm. physical culture. So I always wonder, and we're very influenced from, you know, systems from the UK or from America or from Canada, you know, the Western style of the world. So I'm always wondering about the other parts, you know, you mentioned Mexico, to be honest, I have no idea what's happening in Mexico. So it's interesting to hear that, you know, this sort of, um, crossover and this interest is building the world over it seems Mm. yeah absolutely Uh, movement is nowadays is like the you know when organic came out and everybody was excited about the o word and now everybody wants to do movement and 
I, I think there's more and more interest in the digital era. We're all connected very much so than we were 20, 30 years ago. So everybody sees each other's practices and they mm -hmm. want to invest into their education. So I find there's interest everywhere for the most part, but it's very isolated. So when we come in and we promote the, the courses, those are the people that want to take them because they've seen our, our advertisements or our uh, uh, courses being promoted through the local community so well that's really nice because you're originally from canada i believe uh originally from russia from moscow yeah well that's quite different to canada <laughs> yeah 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 and i moved when i was really small i moved when i was nine uh so that's no 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 real accent but if you talk to my brother it's a very very different uh, uh conversation uh, yeah, we moved when we were nine. It was uh, my brother, my sister, and myself, and my mom. And we moved. There was a revolution and a war happening. So everybody was going to subscription at that time. It was pretty violent. And my brother was 17. So my mom said, mm, mm -hmm. let's go somewhere else. So we moved to Canada. And I lived there for a good portion of my life until I decided to explore a bit of yoga and a bit of acro. And then that opened the doors for education. And I realized that it's important to spread your way of thinking because it allows people to open doors outside of their perspective, what they might see in their community, be it Colombia, be it Mexico, be it Australia. I think it's important that we share each other's ideas. Yeah, so have you been on the road traveling for quite some time? Uh, well, Veon, I've been teaching for 10 years now and I've been on the road, I'd say about four to five of those years, uh, primarily with Acro Yoga. So I own another school with uh, my partner, Devin French. Uh, so we own Van City Acro. So we've been doing teacher trainings and workshops and retreats for a number of years and movement flow for the last couple of years. Mm, okay. Yeah. I mean, that was quite a long time to be, you know, abroad spreading the practice. Um, yeah. One thing that comes to mind is, you know, do you have any sort of a favorite training tools that, you know, it's a must that you must bring when you're training abroad? Uh, easy. They come with me. Hands and feet. That's... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not into, I, I used to use quite a bit of tools and try to uh, use different techniques and also different modalities to heal my body through physiotherapy and through acupuncture. But the more I dive into my own system and my own body, I realize this thing is much smarter than my personality. This body has been around for much longer than Slava has lived in it. So mm -hmm. it has its own ways of learning. It has its own way of healing. So I try to use less and less tools nowadays and try to really tap into our own body systems. Yeah. I like that. Just really trust in, you know, the complexity of history of evolution that's come and developed within us right so and how about in terms of your actual practice whilst traveling like mm. well maybe for right now like how does that actually look day to day you mentioned before we started you're going to go to the gym and um, do some stuff like what's planned yeah, uh, usually at least an hour of stretching throughout the day. And then once I'm fairly limber, I'll go into a bit of movement practice. And for me, it's finding different um, different subjects and different uh, things to tackle. So right now, I'm really much into my shoulders and opening and really understanding this upper portion of my body. So once I finish that and feel very comfortable, I might switch to acrobatics. And from acrobatics, I might need to bring it down to the floor and understand certain sequences that I haven't touched upon. So it's, it's very, 
on an outside perspective, it looks very random and chaotic, but inside it's very organized and very systematic. Yeah. Like before you head into the set session, do you have like a written down plan somewhere in your head or is it after you've opened your body up, then you just have specific ideas that you want to work on? Mm-hmm. How does that, yeah. How does that sort of look? <laughs> Yeah, definitely no sets and reps here. <laughs> I've, I've left that behind a long time ago. Now I just, I follow my body's intuition, but uh, I, I have a general um, theme. And from that theme, certain things might come out. So if I'm working my shoulders, I might need to be able to go into bridges and kickovers and maybe do some macacos to be able to uh, stabilize my action. So it, it's the theme that I follow. And from that theme, I, I might get, Uh, dragged in this direction or that direction but i stay very very uh, close to the theme that i'm training it's interesting how you mentioned the sets and reps so when you're practicing is it sort of your orientation is more towards maybe movement quality rather than quantity yeah absolutely absolutely well there's they're saying uh, it's not practice makes perfect it's perfect uh, practice makes perfect so Mm -hmm. i'd rather i i really want to understand what i'm doing and how i can re reformulate my way of interacting with the movements because I might be throwing myself into a handstand for a year up against the wall. But if I just slow down a little bit and understood the transaction between my legs and my shoulders, I might need only spend a couple of weeks to be able to really understand that process. So I think quality over quantity is always the, the answer. And that's a tricky one, right? Because sometimes you get stuck in your own habitual ways of moving mm. or you might not be aware of, you know, that, principle of just stacking over your wrists to really get that alignment to make it more efficient so you know how has that evolved for for you in terms of or maybe a better place to start is in general with your physical practice how has that changed from over the years you mentioned you've sort of left behind the sets and reps sort of approach from a while so maybe if we take it to the to the very beginning where you were suddenly like you know this this physical practice is for me where did you start from and how has it evolved into where you've got to now yeah it's fun because people assume that i grew up with some kind of gymnastics or ballet or you're from russia yeah (laughs) i mean yeah you can assume that but no i had a very poor physical education i mean when, when i moved to canada it was mostly learn the new language try to survive and my mom having three kids uh, we didn't have a lot of excess income to be able to put myself into uh, sports or gymnastics or extra uh, activities. So it was just about adaptation. But early on, I I knew I was physical, but I translated that physicality into construction. I, I was working in construction since I was 14. And I built a lot of things which gave me gratification, but I built those things sacrificing my body. So I would build beautiful things, but my body was wrecked for for a while. And you know, I've got the scars to prove it. I had a really bad accident, actually. I had 500 pounds of drywall fell on my knee and shattered uh, my foot in half. Wow. And, oh, yeah, it was full physiotherapy, two months in a cast. It was just hair, tibia, and fibia. There was no, no calf muscle. So I, I come from injury. I come from excess. I come from a lot of push, 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 push until your body feels it. So when I came out of that and realized that there was another way, uh, yoga was a, was a big component for me. Uh, I just kept digging and kept going down the rabbit hole and eventually went to um, Acre Yoga. And from Acre Yoga, I went to Capoeira and Capoeira, I went to China and studied martial arts. From there, I joined the circus, was part of the circus for many years. 
and just really understanding that there's a lot of different traditional practices that uh, are necessary, necessary tools to integrate into your body. After a while, I decided to open up my own school to be able to bring all those practices together because a lot of them, they don't talk to each other. They're isolated in their worlds. So that's, that's the elevator, elevator pitch. That's the elevator uh, synopsis of my, of my history. So yeah, it started very poorly. And then I gradually, I, I trusted the process and uh, trusted my teachers along the way. And uh, lo and behold, the body started to open up and skills became easier and easier. And um, I think that the method, the method has changed, but the consistency of practice stayed the same. Mm. So I'm very cautious nowadays. I won't, I won't throw myself up against the wall. I'll, I'll inch by inch, month by month, year by year, get the things that I want. Um, and I think that's a good approach to practice slow and steady. Yeah. I hear from a lot of practitioners, you know, that's the continual theme is, you know, like consistency over intensity, you just keep on going. And that that's what makes the difference over time. Um, you mentioned this thing about how, you know, certain cultures or ways of seeing sometimes can be isolationists. And, mm. you know, I think this is, uh, it rings true, right? Because sometimes when you get good at something and you just want to keep on doing that thing and you don't really look outside of that sphere. So what motivated you to, when you initially, you, you said, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, you found yoga and then you started being like, oh, I'm interested in other things. Like, was there a turning point where you were like, okay, I want to explore other mm. adventures because other people are you know lifelong yogis so why didn't that apply for, for you yeah um i guess because i didn't have a physical education when i was younger when i became an adult and really uh created an, an identity behind this practice i was curious enough to try other things because they were all very new to me but i remember one moment uh, when I went to a capoeira class, because I, I, I was I was curious, I was curious about their flexibility and their their control. And I remember this eight year old boy that would just run circles around me. And at that point, I was I was the yoga teacher. You know, I, I taught uh, twenty eight classes a week, and this was my career. And I knew physicality. And there's this kid just full of joy, running around and flipping and twisting and back bending. And you, you have a I think everybody gets a, a certain moment in their life where they're faced with the truth and either you look away and you continue what you're doing or you realize that uh, there's more to physical education in, in, in my uh, particular instance and yeah I just decided to come down from my Mount Everest and to be a student and I continue doing that uh, every year every year I try to tackle something I'm very bad at like mm. acrobatics for me was really tough I came from control, from yoga. It was a lot of a discipline, a lot of focus, but to throw my body was very difficult. It was um, quite hard. And one of my biggest fears when I was growing up is talking in public. And I became a public teacher. I took one of my biggest weaknesses and now one of my biggest strengths. So I definitely, I surround myself and think of myself of, uh, as a beginner student always and try to um, approach life from difficult situations and not the, the things that come easy to me. Yeah, this is a really important um, or interesting area about uh, the emotions and how much they can stop you sometimes from entering yeah. into areas that can help you the most. <laughs> so, you know, do you, you mentioned in two examples, you know, one entering capoeira, but then also in public speaking, how you've, you knew that you weren't adept at it, but yet you kept on continuing and then discovered 
it like how have you sort of dealt with the emotions in, in that regard for th- this in in the practices like is is this again just practice over time like what have you learned by going and I've done public speaking as well it's bloody scary so yeah how, how, how have you dealt with that challenge that's interesting now nowadays I've got the tools for it because I've done it so it's a muscle I know how to flex but I'd have to dig a bit deeper. That's, that's something I'd have to think about from a childhood perspective. Why did I keep doing something that I was very nervous and very bad and very scared of? Maybe it's the adaptation of traveling from one country into another. Maybe it's moving from one place to another. We moved quite a bit while we were in Canada as well. Um, I think it came from, from an earlier place in my childhood that I, I knew that things were difficult, but I knew I had to go into them. Mm. Yeah, because so, the usual response normally yeah. to some of these things, everyone can take a public speaking course, but, you know, not <laughs> almost, you know, out of the whole majority, maybe it's like 0.1% that, that do it. And I think it's the same a lot with uh, when you develop yourself in a physical field as well. You see this a lot with um, people that do sports, right? You get really good at football or something and then, after you reach 35 and maybe you blow out a knee, you're like, all right, well, it's not that football's done, it's that sport is done, right? And so yeah. for a lot of people, it's quite difficult to adopt the approach that you have taken. So it's quite interesting. And yeah, maybe it's related to to um, your earlier childhood challenges and the fact yeah. that you adapted to that. But um, yeah, something to to think about. Yeah, it's, I, I'd say specialists, they play a, a big role in society as they provide specialist tools that we need to grow and to evolve, but they pay a price because once you become a specialist, you're lonely on a very small mountain with only a certain amount of people that specialize in that one thing. As a generalist, I can move to a capoeira community, I can go to an agro community, I can go to a dance community, I can go to a hand balancing community, I've got lots of resources and if I, if I break an arm, I can still move in different ways. If, if my back goes, I can still juggle and tap into some of my circus mm. uh, skills. So I find it's been a really helpful tool as I go through, through life and plenty of accidents and plenty of injuries. But throughout all of those, I was able to stay mentally clear and continue practicing. So this area of the generalist versus specialist, you know, for a lot of listeners, they've heard this, especially from, you know, Ido Potal. Do you, in terms of where you've learned from and who you've been influenced by, you know, is has there been learnings from, you know, maybe specifically his um, his system or yeah, who who have you learned from from uh, your time with going into acro yoga and the and the rest of it? I'm interested to to find out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Ido is a good example. He was a strong voice for many years and still is. And uh, he's he's come on my radar and I've definitely listened to podcasts and different things that he said. But I would say the teachers that were really dear to me are the ones that were specialized in their discipline. So my capoeira teachers, my yoga teachers, my circus teacher, all of those have paved the way for the things that I offer now and the things that I teach. A good teacher is just an accumulation of amazing teachers in the past. Um, so I would say it's from each discipline that I've learned from and I've amalgamated their knowledge that I transformed into my, into my voice because nothing's original. Everything's been done. Anything you see when somebody says, this is my thing, 
it's it's their thing in their way and it's their thing in their voice and in their community and their approach and their thinking but physicality has been much longer than one individual so i think the approach and i think the, what's unique about it now is that we're all having conversations and we're all having mm -hmm. um we're sitting down at the same dinner table and a bodybuilder and a ballet uh performer can now have a conversation I think that's the most exciting part, right? Bringing people together and, um, you know, reflecting back on all the teachers that you've had, is there a particular one that really, you know, pops up top of mind, someone who's really made a big impact on, on your practice because of a certain idea or concepts that when you learned it, you were like, wow, now that makes sense. Uh, no, all of my teachers between... Uh, Shakti, my yoga teacher, Jesse and Eugene, my acro yoga teachers, Devin, who's taught me throughout the years, who's my partner for Van City Acro, uh, Vinicius from uh, Ashe Capuera, Silvan from Circus West, like all of those hold a dear place in my heart. So when you ask that question, it's not one particular one, it's the amalgamation of all of those that have come together and have uh, created who I am now. Hmm. And right now, do you have someone guiding you or is it very self-guided in your practice? And are you more like teaching others or, other, um, or do you have a teacher at the moment? Yeah, right now I, I go through phases. I, I liked, you know, if you ask any teacher, there's a portion of that, of that teacher that likes to self-surrender. I really, I love teaching and I'm good at it, but I love being a good student. I just, you know, drive my car. I want to know what you've learned throughout your decades of practicing and teaching. So I'm starting to feel that urge to get more information, but there's periods of time where I just trust my own body and I trust the system that we've created to be able to dive deeper. Um, but when I get really good, then there's that voice in my head of like, Slava, you're very comfortable at this. You don't need to do more of these. You don't need to do more handstands to get better at handstands. Maybe you do more breakdancing to get better at handstands. So I'm having that voice in my head because within the movement flow system, I feel very comfortable and I feel very honored and I feel very, uh, uh, sufficient at it. So I'm trying to test my own edges and taking other, other resources and bringing it back and seeing how I can incorporate those. It's like the role of a good teacher, really. They really push you in the areas where I think you have initial sort of resistance. So you're like, oh, I don't really want to do that. And then over the course of the work and when you practice, that's when it becomes more of a part of going, oh, okay, like, yeah, now I'm feeling it. I know definitely when I mm -hmm. receive, you know, programming or phases, there's areas where I'm like, oh, you know, I don't want to do that. Or, you know, maybe some mobility exercises as well. And you're like, that's definitely going to hurt. I, yeah. If I was programming for myself, I probably wouldn't do it, but then it pays off, right? Like you, you put in the work and then you're like, okay, like I see the benefit now. Yeah. And I think if we're talking about good teachers out there, the, the, the ones that are masters are the ones that actually step off their pedestal and are willing to surrender to another, another school of thought. I think though, that's what is really important. More, more for the fact that when you're teaching, you have to have many different tools and many different languages to be able to connect with your students. So for example, if you were a bodybuilder, I can talk to you about the gym because I understand that world because I've put myself into that world. So just surrendering and practicing different styles gives you different languages that then you can connect as a, as a teacher of your own discipline.
So how have you gone about it recently in terms of identifying maybe areas that you need improvement or uh, are a bit weak in at the moment if you if you don't have that guide? Yeah, uh, well, my students, uh, they provide me uh, all the source of in- information and inspiration. We've got many students within our community that consistently play with the movement flow system and they are creating things that I would have never thought of because there's enough within, there's enough transitions. Um, There's 33 transitions in level one and 16 transitions in level two and their interpretation of fusing those Lego blocks and building their own uh, flows that gives me, keeps me inspired. So we have lots of people, my partner, Iris, she's a constant source of inspiration as well. Just seeing how she moves and the flexibility and the grace. So I try to implement that into my own practice and other students are picking apart the system that I, I as, as one individual could not do. So just seeing what they're coming up with keeps me, keeps me going. Well, this is a good segue into jumping into movement flow and what it's all about. So for somebody who hasn't heard about it, you know, maybe approach it from, from walking down the streets in Colombia and I meet you and I'm like, what do you do? And you, how do you explain this, this movement flow? <laughs> I've had this question many times. Uh, well, movement flow is a combination of soft acrobatics, floor work, hand balancing, and a bit of yoga fused in. That would be the, the synopsis behind it. We create strong, flexible bodies that are aware, spatially aware, and giving you the tools to be able to explore different ranges and different styles of movement within one system. I like that. That's a well-practiced answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can feel it out. Uh, and it, it, it's derived from the things that I've practiced over the years. So, but uh, very approachable in the sense that, you know, we've had people who are disabled and had no arms who've done movement flow and there's tools for them. And there's people who've been circus acrobats and they've done movement flow. And then there's been yoga practitioners and hand balancers. It's, it's going to find the strength, but it's also going to really identify the weaknesses within your practice and your body and say, here's the roadmap. Here's how we can get you from point A to point B all the way uh, as far as you want to take it. So it, it has a lot of tools to be able to be applicable to almost anybody. Yeah, well, it sounds like you've really spent a lot of time designing the system. Like you just mentioned about, you know, was it 33 movements, 16 categories? So maybe take us to the genesis of when the, before there was no movement flow and then suddenly there, there was movement flow. Like when did these thoughts start forming within your head of, you know, Hey, like, I think there's a way to, to, to present or systemize your, all your experiences, which sound very varied. It sounds very biblical. The genesis of movement flow <laughs> chapter one. <laughs> Uh, it, well, for the longest time, you know, I would say I was, I was very resistant to create a system around it because at heart, I'm a generalist. I, I love exploring. But as a teacher, I understand that you need tools to give to people. You need the system to be able to follow, to get you. Before you can improvise and free flow, you need to do the reps and sets and you need to have a guide and you need to have a structure. Those are very important. I think as teachers, we forget that sometimes we, we want to get to this. We want to get the student where we are right now, but you forget sometimes that you also as a student had to go through this whole process. So the, the urge and the need and the aha moment really resonated in me in 
seeing the practices that are out there and seeing what I can offer. And what I offer was movement flow and the 33 transitions and the 14 categories spoke very, very dear to my heart because they were very approachable and they had a lot of tools with inside them that allowed practically anybody to, to practice movement flow. I think you just touched on a really important point, which is really developing material or providing material for the person where they are now versus mm-hmm. where you are at. And some like I've felt that desire as well, where you've found something exciting to you and then suddenly you want to really just share that to someone, but it might not be appropriate for them at their stage, right? You kind of want to jump 50 levels to where you've practiced that to get them to to do it, which may work, but sometimes they also need to have something else where maybe you were excited about five, seven, 10 years ago. And I think that can be a very difficult thing for someone. Yeah. For someone teaching. Yeah. It's, it's what you get out of teaching. My, my, my dopamine hit is not me doing the big trick. My dopamine hit is somebody for the first time saying, wow, I never thought I could do this. Thank you so much for breaking down the process or that cue that really made it for me. That specific little detail I never thought of. And because you mentioned it, all of a sudden I've freed something in my, in my mind and in my body. So for me, teaching is not to get the big skills for the students. It's the, it's the, the road and me being in the usher along that road, me shoveling the snow for them to be able to go up the path much easier. That's what drives me really. That's really nice because, you know, in this age of Instagram, it's all about sometimes the big <laughs> skills, you know, the, <laughs> the uh, yeah. you know, the one who can do the most flips. So it's funny, right? Like sometimes you would say like looking on the outside in that, that's almost like the sense that people get, you know, that's what gets the views on YouTube, Instagram, but uh, you say it right. You know, when you actually are guiding someone face to face, the wins of just seeing the joy on their faces when they may do something and just realize something about their body, I think is, um, is th- those are the beautiful moments. And, you know, maybe they may manifest in some of those, those skills being performed, but sometimes it's like, you know, in the fails, but they're failed sort of in a different way, which makes them realize something else that um, can also be very, very beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And it's tools like we're all guilty of trying to put your next big thing out on Instagram and uh, sharing what you're excited in that moment, but that might not resonate with other people. So just letting them know that where you are right now is not where you expect them to be, but that there is a process for them to find their unique way, unique voice, their fingerprint uh, within the practice. And Movement Flow has really done an amazing job. In the last two years, we've taught all styles, everybody, almost all the ages. We've had eight-year-olds go through the system. We've had 70-year-olds go through the system. We've had, uh, like I said before, acrobats, yoga practitioners, wrestlers, gym goers, people who have disabilities. And to, to really put your practice to the test of, of the masses and to pass and feel very honored and very uh, appreciated and seeing that it works and it sets people free and it gives them the tools to move through their bodies it's, it's quite a feeling. Yeah. So take us through these movements in these categories. Mm. What, yeah, what are absolutely. 
<laughs> That's what I say. You have to take the level one course, but <laughs> I can give you an insight. Yeah. So uh, it's a mixture between what I mentioned earlier. We have many categories that are uh, floor work based. So for example, I'll give you one where we go into a straddle, we go into what's called a forward fold sliding splits, and then we get ourselves to the other side. Very simple movement almost anybody can do. And then off of that, we might go into something called a monkey flow. And now we're traveling through space and maybe get ourselves upside down and get into a handstand. And then from there, we might need to feel the energy. So we'll do a low kick out of the kick category. So it's, it's many different tools that people will have to express the different energies within the bodies. So you might have one that's very fluid. You might have something that's very powerful. You might have a category that's very strong and balanced. Awesome. Yeah, because I, when I heard you speak about this and I saw this on the website with the, with the idea of the categories, I was like, oh, okay, like, that's interesting. Like, you know, obviously, like, movement is very varied and co complex. Maybe you can't, like, include everything, but you've made specific choices to include some things. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that, that's sort of broken up in a series of like what I just saw there, which was there's some like ground movement, there's some rolling, there's some kicking. Um, but uh, in terms of, yeah, you're think, thinking with um, coming up with these uh, categories, maybe, yeah, take us through the, um, the process of where you're like, okay, like that's going to work or that's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So a category, the category is basically a house. And within that house you have, uh, the furniture, the things that make that house very unique. So like a sweeps category, it has the, the consistency of people going in a circle. So now we have three movements within a sweep, a low sweep, a grinder, um, and those will add to that particular category. So uh, it's more of a language that we're learning. So you would learn the language. And then once we learn the language, then we can start to have conversations. And when we have conversations, then we can dive a little bit deeper. Yeah, I normally always uh, say this with like a lot of the movement, you know, I come from where, you know, we talk about it, whether you call it like locomotion or you call it floor work mm. as well. And it is like pieces where you're kind of learning the vocabulary first, right? And then the terminology. And then from there, that's when you can start linking up the words and making some sort of sentences. And then if you talk about flow, that's like where you getting more into a conversation but at the start it is kind of uh yeah you, you start it off with just like the individual pieces themselves and then you start linking it together is that sort of how the process starts progressing yeah absolutely so i can give you like a day in a level one training and we do different ones online and in person in person is uh, five days and then online is three weeks so people have a bit more space but uh, the process is learning the warm-ups. We have 11 warm-ups. They're fairly quick. It takes about 14 minutes. It goes through all the ranges of motion. It gives you some explosivity through the body as well. And at the same time, it, it stretches and gets you ready to move. So after we do those particular warm-ups, we'll choose a category. And from that category, we'll learn the movements that are very unique, but they share the same concept behind it. That's why the categories are so important. Like if I do a cartwheel category, it will be a two arm, a one arm and an aerial. So they all share the feeling of a cartwheel. Uh, and then once we've learned a few categories, then we start to every day to implement them and start to have a conversation. So you're learning the language, you're implementing the language. And then at the same time, you're starting to understand it more and more. 
Yeah, and do you choose particular transitions that really help understand how to link certain things together? Because, you know, uh, there's one side I think where you can get really stuck on just like learning individual skills, such as like, you know, you just want to nail the aerial. So you just keep on doing that and that and that. But then say I practice capoeira and it's very different trying to link through a cartwheel variation coming from like a negativa or something from a, a different position. And so you have to kind of practice that. So yeah, within your system, how do you, start introducing this uh is it very intentional with some specific transitions to start teaching people yeah. how to link things together yeah you gotta throw an armada queixada mea lua in there and you're good to go <laughs> definitely <laughs> yeah absolutely it's it's very individual based but when we when we teach this to a public to a big course we we teach different ranges of difficulties so you might have someone who's never done anything before so we have to degress and make something very approachable and somebody who's done it for many years we turn up the heat and make it a bit spicier but it's very organic I, I as a teacher i have the skeleton and the structure but i don't put the meat until i see the people i have to get to know the people who are surrounding myself because no plan is a good plan mm -hmm. but something that you've practiced over many 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 years because then you can think on the spot so uh, to answer your question, it's very, it's very unique to every group, but we do go through the entire structure. So I might turn on the heat a little earlier because I can see the group is very strong and they might need that. And then if, after a few days, we'll calm down and do a bit of groundwork. Uh, and if somebody's never done it and the group feels like it's a lot of information, we might just do some smaller movements that are very easily approached and gratified because you think, wow, I can actually do this. And then you take that energy and you continue through the course. So it's very unique. I wouldn't say I have a cookie cutter. This is what we learn on day one. And this is what we learn on day two. You will learn the entire system, all 33 moves and 14 categories, but it might be in different arrangements. I like that. Yeah. So, you know, you're just really clear with working with the group where they're at, and then you can introduce it in that's appropriate for them. Right. And then progress as the, um, as the workshop or, or the course goes on. Oh, and so how about this concept of, you mentioned like level one. So there, there are also levels to this, like what makes it when someone completes level one, what, what are the markers that you, um, yeah, that you look for? Yeah. Yeah. Well, level one, it's, it's evolved over the years, but uh, level one is more of an introduction to the course. So once you've done the level one, we don't expect you to do every single movement perfectly. We want to expose you because, you know, we, we, we're dealing with the general public. We might have somebody who's never done anything before, but at the same time, we have people who've been doing it for many years. So level one introduces you to the system and it opens the door for two pathways. So you can do level one. And if you're saying, I really want to teach classes and workshops, then you would go through the mentorship program, which is held by Iris and Brian. And for you to do the mentorship programs, now our standards are much higher. Now we have prerequisites that you have to send in. And once you can do the movement properly and understand it, then you're being taught how to teach those movements in a class setting. Mm. So the level one is, it's a, it, it unlocks the first door for you to go down the journey of movement flow if you choose so. Um, now there's that one pathway where you finish level one, you're like, oh, I really love this. I wanna practice it a little bit more. I want to teach this. You see on the website that there's prerequisites. You send the prerequisites, which are the videos of the movements, and then you get the green light to do the mentorship. And then once you do the mentorship, you can teach classes. Uh, then the next road is level two. 
Level two is an upgrade from level one. This is where we do more acrobatics, more backbends, more dynamic transitions that are built off the system of level one. So they're very familiar, but they're very different, very spicy. Um, and then once you finish level uh, two, then if you wish to do certifications yourself, one-on-one certifications or group certifications, then you would go towards the teacher training. And we've got teachers in Japan, we've got teachers in Canada, we've got teachers in South America, and they've been with us for a number of years and they've gone through the whole process and they feel very, very passionate about uh, showing it to their students. So a level one opens the door, either you go towards classes and workshops or you go towards certifications. Those are the two pathways. Yeah, it's interesting because I haven't really seen the concept of, of levels being applied in this more, you know, open sort of exploratory type movement. So mm-hmm. was that something that you recognized that you were like, oh, people, this is really going to help people in understanding uh, by implementing this uh, the system of, of levels? Yeah, absolutely. Like, Fayon, there's, there's many, not, not just in movement flow, but there's many practices out there that they, 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 it's a business. It's a get them in, get them out. Charge them as much money as you can, and then next group, next group. I mean, they... Yeah, I don't want to point out certain disciplines, but there's many, as you know, that's just pumping out. It's, mm-hmm. it's a machine. So for us, it was very important to, A, be very affordable. Our education is one of the most affordable courses out there, and we give a lot. We give uh, enough hours. We connect with our students. We stay in contact with them after they finish the course. We give them all the resources from our app to the community to our personal time to be able to succeed. Um But at the same time, you need steps. You can't just do a level one, a five-day course, and you're like, great, I'm a teacher. You know, it's it's the trap of the generation. It's the real generation. You want to see the reels, and you want to scroll, and you want to pay a bunch of money and get your certificate. And that's that's not something that we approach Movement Flow from. We want to be there within your education, and we want to make sure that it feels like an education and not just a weekend course that then you're a master Reiki instructor. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I know with these, these type of like movements. Well, I mean, even with how you mentioned, like just starting the first level with 33 movements, like you could mm-hmm. spend for the next few years, right. Refining on those skills over and over and over again. And there's, well, there's no real endpoint, right. Um, like you can just keep on going. And I think that's part of the beautiful thing with some of this stuff. Like, you know, you mentioned before in your own practice, you know, you, you're searching for the, um, I think when you set the orientation of, of quality rather than quantity mm-hmm. and intensity, then it's a deeper dive and you can just keep on, going at it at a deeper level versus that I'm just going to do, you know, 10 bridge rotations and that's it. I'm done. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's, we're on this planet for a short amount of time and it's how you spend that time. And I prefer moving and connecting. And Hmm. when I'm old and gray and ready to pass on to the next adventure, I will feel fulfilled because I've, I've squeezed the lemon. I've taken all the juice out of it. (laughs) And like you said, the movement journey is endless. You can continue searching it. I think I would be very sad if my practice had an endpoint. Hmm. Apart from the actual movements themselves, which you might introduce and teach to them, uh, are there any like core sort of concepts or mental models of how to approach movement flow that you try to introduce to students? Oh, so many, so many. The, the movements are the, the the base of the mountain, but the good stuff, the the, the 
white sprinkles on top of the snow caps are within the theories behind them. One of them, something I hold really dear, we call three quarters, one quarter, how you move through space. Do you crash and waste the energy that you've created initially? Or do you know how to slow down momentum before it gets into that dead end range and then transfer it to another motion? So the more I'm moving in through space, the more I'm realizing I'm just energy. I'm energy moving and the best movers out there are very cognizant of this three quarters, one quarter, and they're very cognizant of how they create explosive energy and how they absorb and transfer that explosive energy. So that's one of the concepts we use quite often. And that's what makes flows very seamless because it's not go crash, go crash. It's always just transferring and moving like water. Yeah, that's nice. And um, yeah, it's kind of like this, uh, you know, when you're learning it, it's very stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. Mm -hmm. And then as you go, then you're like, ah, oh, maybe I don't need to just like sit back into this squat like this heavy and then start again, you know, like pressing the play button each time. But I haven't heard it described in the way that you just mentioned with this three quarter, one quarter. So yeah, that's a nice thing. I'm, I'm going to think on that for, for a bit, um, which kind of leads me to this uh, area of like, you know, when I watch you, you have this sense of like grace and ease almost. And mm. so this quality of grace, I find um, quite uh, interesting. It's like the Federer versus Nadal type of, of approach. Nadal mm. seems to, you know, he's graceful in his own sense, but there's definitely a sort of like sense of like really, you know, going for a power. And then there's the Federer that seems to be gliding along the court. So yeah, how, how have you sort of uh, developed this sense of grace? Is it through these, is there, is there specific things that you've really practiced and stuff that you put through movement flow that, that highlight that this is a quality that one can develop through the system? I think it's every motion is a personality that you get to know. A handstand is a personality. A cartwheel is a personality. They're all beings and entities in their own way. And the more you understand them, the more they can conversate in a very cohesive way. So I think spending enough time and really diving into each movement and diving into each category, now you're starting to develop language that is very cohesive and uh, can flow very easy. And the, the times that you don't understand is where you feel like you're having an argument between you and your floor work. Mm. So I, I'd say the three quarters, one quarter has been something that is very very powerful to me. It's a very simple tool. I'll create motion and dynamic range for the first three quarters and I'll slow it down for that last quarter and then transition into another uh, movement afterwards. But I think just understanding, understanding the categories and understanding the movements themselves will help you develop a better language. It's the same thing as language. Me and you are speaking English right now. It's through years I've practiced the alphabet and understood sentence structure and understood phrases and I can eventually have simple conversations, but me and you are talking about something a bit deeper, but that's because I've practiced this language. Mm -hmm. And for say, if there were some movement flow listeners actually listening to this yeah. episode, of this podcast, be funny. and there, they were like, you know, oh, I want to get really good at this stuff. Like what would your, yeah, just number one tip be to, to focus on. Yeah, consistency. Download the Movement Flow app. They'll, they'll give you all the tools you need down there. Uh, I would say consistency and community. A community will keep, you, will keep you honest with yourself and keep you encouraged in those dark days where you feel like you're alone. And in this world, as connected as we are, we feel very alone, especially nowadays. We, we go through some interesting times. So I think consistency and community will, will get you through all the times 
and will get you to uh, the place that you want to in a very fashionable and a very pleasant manner. Consistency and community. Yeah, I want to focus on this point of community, right? Because we've just all gone through quite a difficult period where you've been told yeah. to stay at home and don't hang out with anybody as well. But I think um, for a lot of people out there, sometimes like you find a new area, certainly for me, you know, with a wider sort of movement practice, then you look around uh, in your community that you currently have and no one knows what the hell you're talking about, right? You're like, oh, I found this thing. You know, maybe it's even handstands and none of my friends handstand as well. So what are your sort of tips with like, you know, generating or like practicing with other people if you're in an area and it feels like you're all just by yourself and you're the only one that, that have, have, have found this, you know, amazing new thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, we, we live in a digital age, so it's easier to connect with people. Uh, anytime, and I, I know this feeling, like when I took my acro yoga teacher training and I came back to Vancouver, there was barely anybody practicing. So I was the guy for a long time and eventually uh, build the community with Devin. And you might have those lonely times, but you might be also connected with people who are in different parts of the world. So just being... Yeah, it's a tough question. Being being vulnerable enough to ask for help or being vulnerable enough to approach people or to share. Either you're trying to tap into a community that's already existing or you're trying to build one, but not everybody's a teacher. Maybe some people are just practitioners and they want to and need to uh, connect. So yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's difficult. It's a difficult question. I would say a community that's already big, you might be lost and you may be one of the latecomers versus a community that's just establishing themselves and they're new. So it's exciting, but there's not that many of them, but when they, when they get big, you're one of the first leaders and you're one of the first big voices, or you might find that sweet spot when they're just building and they've got enough people in your town that's practicing the same thing. Uh, if, if you don't have something that you're very passionate about, I would say find a teacher that can tap you into the community or just find a discipline that simulates that community vibe. Mm -hmm. And is there specific things uh, with movement flow? You know, if someone's uh, downloaded the app, that uh, how, how do you get the aspect of community in that regard? Oh, like the community movement flow is so welcoming. Honestly, everybody, uh, they, they, they open their hearts and their homes and we've had people stay at other people's houses and play move, uh, do movement flow as they're traveling. We've had people reach out to others uh, and try to encourage them to move more because they haven't heard from them in a little while. I just say, just introduce yourself to the movement flow community, uh, download the app or try some movements and tag us. We're very, we're very approachable. If, Beyond, if you do a movement flow sequence, you don't be surprised if you get shared on our account or tagged <laughs> or having a conversation. I'll, I'll always make time for the students. So do our teachers as well. Yeah, awesome. And, you know, are there any common mistakes you normally see, like maybe uh, beginners make as they, you know, try and um, try it out, start really practicing, trying to get good, you know, some things that might help them in their journey? Uh, they don't celebrate the little successes. They keep chasing the, the high of the big successes. But we, we move towards pleasure and we move away from pain. So if you can give a moment of celebration in the small achievements, it's a long-term practice. It's better jet fuel than 
than criticizing yourself. I think that's the beginners and something we pride ourselves in is not perfection, but we're priding ourselves in uh, is approachability. So if you can't do a one-arm cartwheel and you can barely do a cartwheel, we're going to break it down until you feel very comfortable on your hands and you can have a measure of success and you can take that, wow, I never thought I could do this to the next stage. And we've got plenty of students who've gone from, I can't do any of this to now they're teachers mm -hmm. and they're incredible as practitioners. So as a, as a beginner student, celebrate the little successes because if you don't, you're going to find yourself always chasing that high. And I guarantee you, every, every person you see on Instagram that's amazing and incredible, they've got some tough times where they judge themselves upon other practitioners. So the, the, the grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener is where you water it. I can say that I'm, you know, always still guilty of this as well, right? Like you, when you're working on something and you're... Uh, and you're like, okay, yeah, like I really want to get that. And um, let's say it's like the at the cartwheel or the macacao, and you're just like, oh, I'm just still still not there yet, still not got that quality. Um, but then you do it in a different way as well. And that's something I'm trying to get better at is uh, just slowing mm -hmm. myself down if it feels a bit different, just doing a little fist pump or something, which goes, okay, like that, that changed a bit because, you know, it, it's still a continual work in progress, you know, just like everything else is as well. But it's not like, you know, when you're learning stuff, you're going to do things just in what your mind is, like the, the perfect manner, because sometimes, you know, that concept almost doesn't exist, right? You're just like, oh, okay, like it, it's like that. But maybe for you, you know, you do it in your own way as well that you're developing. Mm. You got to put it all back in the monopoly box. We don't get to keep any of this. So mm. you might as well enjoy the ride and not be in your head negative. So that's, that's something that beginner students sometimes will, will get too much. They see the advance and they see the, the, the glory land. Mm. You know, I used to do this. I remember seeing a friend of mine going into a full pancake and just feeling so envious and saying, wow, I would be such a better person if I was able to have that range of motion. And I'm, I have that range of motion now and the world is not that much better so it's 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 a it's the allure it's the trap so i'd say just enjoy the process be be within your body be appreciative of it it takes time we we have a very adaptable machine that learns from its environment and learns from the social and emotional cues that you give it so it takes time it takes time to change and reorientate yourself Mm, definitely it definitely does and in terms of like capacity developments let's say like strength and flexibility training how is that incorporated in, into the system is that through them doing the movements themselves or do you have different layers on top like you just showed me like the flat pancake amazing by the way is that something that <laughs> you know you specifically also help people train for or is that part of you know a certain movement that you've defined under the system that develops these um these traits yeah so we have the warm-up system that allows people to go through their flexibility and strength but the flexibility the dynamic range the control is built in within the system because i don't want people to warm up the entire time just to get ready for movement and they're not moving and their movement practice is a warm-up practice and I was guilty of that. You know, I would warm up when I first came out to the circus. I was very intimidated and I would just sit in the corner. It took me a week and a half before I approached anybody really and tried to do their skills. And I was just warming up. 
But what was I warming up for? I was warming up for movement and the movement practice itself, circus taught me how to move. So uh, it's incorporated. It has to be incorporated with any movement flow system or any system of movement. Uh, the, the movements themselves should make you stronger, more flexible, more graceful. It's not the, the back end helps, but it's the, the, front, the front end, the things that you do every day that will allow you to access all the things that you were mentioning before. Mm. And so... Um... From what I've seen from the moon flow is very floor-based and mm. you um, operate, you know, in an open sort of uh, area, you know, and something that I see in Capoeira is like people are always moving on the floor as well. And it's very like push-based. And so a common argument is, you know, what about the pulling? What about the hanging? All this yeah. uh, sort of activities. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Is that incorporated in the system? I mean, you, <laughs> for you to incorporate a system that incorporates every facet of movement is just, it's, it's, it's unapproachable. You, you need to start somewhere. So I, I would say those things are very important. I, I hang quite often just to decompress from gravity to release the spine. Uh, it's not something that we focus on, but it's something that we might suggest as a tool for somebody who's feeling a backache or they've got some shoulder instability that they want to restructure. Uh, but there will be no complete system. There's, we can keep searching, but there's too much, you know, I can, I can learn how to be an amazing mover and then I have to learn how to snowboard and I don't know anything or surf. There's like different capacities. The world of movement is infinite, mm -hmm. uh, but within the movement flow system itself, you will gain confidence and the tools to get you flexible, to get you strong, to get you powerful and to give you a sense of feeling that you can create something of your own, something that's unique and giving you the tools behind that. Yeah. Cause it's interesting. Cause sometimes you hear that, uh, Oh, like you, you need to have almost like this, uh, different sides of the practice as well in terms of to keep on practicing it for a longevity type of orientation as well. Um, that's, uh, you know, there's, there's like this, um, concept of, of balance between if, if we keep on using the push and the pull sort of uh mm. example that you know for i think it's a common bodybuilding um thing right like uh, for every push movement you need you need a pull movement but uh you know is that is that true and i like how you just said it there where it's like no one system can really encapsulate everything, especially in a, in a topic of, of movement. So it's, it's good to hear, like, I guess, a, a clear sort of like stance on that as well. Yeah, absolutely. If, and if anybody says their system incorporates and encapsulates movement, just run away. That's snake oil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you, you have, you need a starting point and the, the movement flow system is a really good starting point. And from there you'll, grab tools that are very relevant to you and to your students. And you might say, hey, you might do this exercise because I notice in your macaco, there's a bit of instability in your shoulder that maybe not getting your, your, your momentum and your, your weight up enough. So you might need to stabilize or actually in your handstand, you need to hang a little bit because you're feeling a little stuck here and the passive hang with, your, with gravity and your body weight might open up some certain things. So you, you need a starting point and then from there you give different different seasonings on the race mm. and so in the area of acrobatics right very common mm. you know i you mentioned it yourself you know terrifying when you first start still terrifying to me <laughs> how do you deal with this emotional side and 
also for students, you know, what's your advice around there for going, well, say like for the macaco, you got to go over backwards. Very unnatural. Like how do you help people to conquer that? Yeah, very specific, very refined instructions for each individual and tons of encouragement. I find if we, if we can find the base source or the source of the motion and how you're transferring energy and what you're doing with a small little rotation, you know, when somebody's doing a macaco, they might keep placing their hand not to the side, but all the way behind, which will force the spine not to get the exact extension and the exact power. It'll flip them over every single time. Or a simple thing like twisting the wrist, which will open up the pec, which will open up the ribs and uh, transfer to your lift and to your hips. So being very specific and watching, watching as a teacher is something that's been uh, overlooked, not just general instructions like kick up against the wall and do 10 reps of handstands never talking about hand positioning or momentum or the focal point of your eyes or what your spine is doing. So just being very specific, but at the same time, very encouraging, letting them know that these little steps are working and it takes time for them to, to create uh, the, the transition or the, the action that they're wanting. Mm, yeah. I really like that. Um, it's, it is, uh, I think, especially with, this sort of movement as well it's like very specific things sometimes where it's like again breaking out of like a, a habitual way of how you're doing it which then transforms that experience to them being like yeah say you twist the hand a little bit more and the pec just opens up a bit more and then the body almost like it just allows it to happen right and then you're like oh like mm. i've been trying that for the last month and it didn't feel like that. And then suddenly you do that and it completely changes. And I think that's one of the wonders sometimes with, um, with, uh, teaching or like practicing this sort of stuff is like one little thing can, can change everything sometimes. Yeah. And I, you, you incorporate the personalities and people's backgrounds, but we have to recognize like, this is a very intelligent entity. Our bodies are capable of so much. And I think people get stuck in their personalities. I can't, I can't, I'm not, I'm not. And not realizing that they're, they're clay, they are malleable. They can be shifted and molded and uh, restructured in so many different ways and, and not that long of a time either. Mm -hmm. You know, I was a construction worker that couldn't touch my toes and I had uh, a broken leg and I couldn't move for a year. And then a few years later, I was doing acrobatics and, you know, I was in a motorcycle accident a few years back and bounced back within a couple of weeks because I had my movement practice. There's many different ways and many different uh, excuses why we can't, but our job as teachers is telling you why you can and why you should. And you mentioned before about how you help quite a wide array of people, you know, including mm. kids as well. Like how... Well, what have you found in terms of, you know, adapting for such a wide audience? Well, what sort of changes maybe that you have to make, maybe if it's a workshop or the material that you present to, to help it sort of click to, maybe let's take kids, for example, like what sort of changes or what's top of mind when you're teaching kids as opposed to, you know, 20, 40-year-olds? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, kids just love to play. And my partner, Iris, she does a lot of classes with kids and has taught and certified actually a few kids in the movement flow system and just being lighthearted and playing, letting them know that it's not that serious and not pushing them to that edge. 
And then I, I don't think the approach changes too much. The kids are just, they're hungry for knowledge and they're, they're wanting a lot of information and they want to play. We're adults, sometimes we're in our heads and we have to, as coaches, get them out of their heads and saying, hey, there's another way to express your body. So with kids, it's a little bit more lighthearted and a little bit more, let's explore. With adults, we can go a bit more hyper-focused while um, supporting them through the process. Mm. And, for and, those, the system, yeah. it's, and the system itself, it has enough variety. Mm. So if we're doing a class, you know, I, I have enough tools in my bag that I can pull out pretty much to anybody and say, okay, well, this is way too easy. Let's pump it up. Let's do some aerials. Let's do some macacos. This is way too hard. Let's do some forward rolling and let's do some floor work and some, some small acrobatics that will make you feel accomplished. Mm, nice. And for those like that say on board into the system, they're doing a program you mentioned, normally there's a warm up and then they move into mm. certain things like, yeah, what, what would a session actually look like? Is it like you pick one, two, three sort of skills and you just work on that? Is there a specific structure that you recommend or help guide people through to be like, okay, this is like how say for a level one session looks like? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it goes back to what we discussed. We, we learn the language, we isolate it, and then we implement it into flow. So every session, for example, if, yeah, if me and you are doing our first session of a level one course, we do private courses as well. So uh, we offer 10 sessions and through those 10 sessions, you would learn the 33 movements. And if it's your first session, I would, and we have an hour together, I would teach you the warm up. And then after the warm up, we would tackle a couple of categories, make sure all those specific instructions are there and refine a little bit, but save it for later to the like the really juicy stuff. I would get you to be exposed to the to the material and then start to play with different transitions. So you might say low sweep. I might say two arm cartwheel. After two arm cartwheel, we might do a double pigeon and then a grinder and you would know those uh, names after our session and then you start to create and play and move. And then you would feel like you're actually uh, flowing instead of just drilling reps and sets. Mm -hmm. And about sort of near the end of the session, do you have a particular way that you like to like close off sessions after, you know, you put a sort of flow together? No, that's pretty much it. I would say after the flow, there's no big real cool down. I want people to feel the, the adrenaline and I want people to feel excited about their practice. Uh, there's many docile things in our, in our society that are there. You, you know, the Netflix and other things that you turn on and you turn off the brain. So I want people to feel excited in their bodies. Uh, the flows and you creating and you talking, so like we're in Colombia right now, we have to learn Spanish. We're starting to conversate, we're ordering coffee and that feels exciting to me because I've just learned a piece of information, a word that then I can translate into a conversation. So uh, after you do the warmups, after we've done the, the movements, after we've flown, you would feel very gratified mm. and then you would be excited to learn more in our next session. It reminds me of the feeling that I always have, you know, at the very end of capoeira practice and you all gather in a hoarder and then everyone's singing and you do it. And there's, you know, there's the real specific cool down. And um, yeah. actually for me, sometimes it can be a bit uh, challenging because we finish late at night, say like nine, nine thirty, And then you're just like getting back home and you're like, I'm really awake. I'm like, you know, <laughs> jack, jacked up. So <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, I hear that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, a little it's less intense than that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and for yourself, like, what would you say, like, thinking about uh, with um, 
things that you've had to learn. Was there, what's been like the most maybe physically challenging for, for you, any like particular movement or thing that you worked on that you were like, Oh, like I just, just couldn't get this. Ooh, Manny, I would say every skill I've learned, I've had that process with, um, yeah, every difficult skill that I've, I've come across recently, I've, I've really, you, know, you can do the movement, but to, to feel like it's your own, to feel like you can bust it out without warming up, the aerial is something that I've, I've started to master and really put my, put my, sink my teeth into it. But I feel like I go through that process on the regular. A kickover is something I've, I've just mastered over the last six months. I feel like I can do it without too much of a warm up. So I go, I go through the process uh, quite often, um, but then it's, it's the same. It's a cookie cutter. It's copy and paste. I'm like, okay, I feel horrible at it. Uh, let's, let's see if I can, uh, let's see if I can practice it a little bit. And if I get a, a small taste of success, I celebrate it. And that's enough for me to come back and do it again. Like I've got a, I've got a friend of mine who's a break dancer. So I've been doing some break dancing a little bit and dancing. And that's something I, I don't usually do, not that rhythmic work. And um, that's a challenge to myself. And I go through the same process I get my students to go through. I, I do the motion, I study it, I see all the small little details. I'll try it, I know I suck at it. I'll celebrate the small successes and I'll go back to the gym or back to my unit and practice it again and practice it again until I've mastered it. There's no different. And in terms of say, like the, um, the aerial, the back walkover is then when you focus on that, is that something then you're like, okay, like every day I'm going to start trying this and, and, and keep on refining it. Or, you know, is that something where you're just like, oh, it's a focus. And so when the feeling comes up, you know, week to week, I'll just keep on chipping away at it, chipping away at it again, maybe that consistency versus intensity sort of conversation. How do you approach it? Yeah, I, w- I would say once I get a general general understanding comfortability, I won't train it that much because I, I understand it and I'm not trying to perfect it to be a specialist. I'm not trying to have the best aerial in the world. I'm trying to understand it, implement it into my day-to-day practice and then move to another subject matter. Because I find, you know, you can go in one discipline and you can practice it for five, six years and you can get to the first 80% of proficiency in that discipline within the first year to two years. You know, if you practice capoeira for the next two years, you would be pretty proficient at it. You would feel like you're fairly good. But for you to get from 80% to 100%, that's decades. That's, that's going to take you. You have to learn uh, Portuguese. You have to play all the instruments. Like there's a big path and it's a noble, noble path. But I find in my own personal journey is that if I can do many 80s, I can do an 80 in yoga, I can do an 80 in capoeira, I can do 80 in hand balancing, all of them start to uh, combine and actually they, they start to go up higher. So now I can do capoeira a little bit better because I do yoga. I can do hand balancing a little bit better because I go to the gym. You know, they, they all complement each other. Mm. So, yeah, what in your practice, what keeps you going at the moment? You know, like if you could say like, you know, the why behind to keep on, to keep on going and then sucking at something and, you know, to, to try new things, what would you say that is? Uh, I'd say it's the student base. I'd say our students continuously inspire us because there's some people that are much better than me and they can do things that I could not even touch. So they keep me honest. 
they, they keep me motivated. So it's, it's easy to go back to the gym and say, you know what, you're a teacher and you, you, you have to walk the walk and not just talk the talk because talking the talk is easy. Fancy words are easy to come out, but to put uh, proof behind those words is difficult. And that, that keeps me going. So I'll come out of a session where I've taught somebody and I know how to push the buttons. I know how to make those easy transitions hard and those hard transitions even more, more spicy. And they, they get the adrenaline feeling of like, wow, I've, I've, I really thank you for that. I didn't think I could be pushed in that way and get these results. And then I take that same energy into my own practice. Hmm. And for the future of movement flow, you know, you, Oh, you've yeah. got a you've got an app you're doing workshops spreading it around the world already it seems like you know it's all going well but you know in your head where do you want to take it million people practicing movement flow that's that's where it's going awesome i like that yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a lot Just of work give... to, to to get going on yeah but we're we're very we're very close to all our teachers we we have conversations, we have meetings, we have courses, we, we are very, we're a tight knit community of people and we, we don't coddle them, but we promote uh, work and hard work. So all of, all of the people that work with us are hard workers and on the back end, we make sure to support them and give them opportunities. So it's, it's not a lonely road. We've got a whole team around us and every, every month, every uh, day it's growing bigger and bigger. There's a lot of people who are going through the teacher training process and, sending their uh, applications and prerequisites. Now they're becoming teachers. Soon people will start teaching group courses outside of myself and Iris and Brian. So there's the, the, the community is growing. And you it's know, a rippling effect. Those interested in attending uh, one of these workshops, yeah, what's the upcoming schedule of where you are or where some of these teachers are, are holding workshops upcoming? Yeah, so most of the stuff you can find through our Facebook uh, page is Movement Flow. Uh, and our schedule, funny enough, me and Iris were just talking about it today. So let me let me pull it up right now. So we've got our travel scheduling. So we've got an online course January 15th to the 30th, and it's a three-week program. We do it every Saturday and Sunday for three hours, and then we have one review bonus session in the middle of the week. And this is where you go through the full level one system. Then we're going to Mexico City on February 9th to the 13th. And then Iris is going to New York, February 23rd to the 27th. And we're teaching a course here in Colombia in March. And then we're off to Germany, April, and then Italy in mid-April. Oh, awesome. Well, yeah, yeah. sounds like you've got a very busy schedule. And um, yeah, it's nice that you have an option as well for people who aren't in those specific countries as well that they can jump on, on online as well. You know, that's, um, that's really cool. So yeah, uh, I'm just thinking maybe to wrap it up, um, you know, if for some reason you couldn't teach movement, maybe, you know, it's been taken away from you, but by some magic of the world, what else do you think you might be doing? Ooh, interesting. I think I would still teach if I couldn't teach movement. I, I enjoy the process of understanding systems and I enjoy the process of giving information in a cohesive and digestible way. So I, I feel like I would be a teacher. If I couldn't teach movement, I teach how to ride a motorcycle. If I couldn't teach how to ride a motorcycle, I teach you graphic design or how to build a website. So there's many other things that I do on my in my other side that doesn't involve uh movement but i think i'm a teacher for life yeah awesome and so for anyone who wants to get in touch um you know what are your preferred methods is it through the movement flow website or directly like um just just message you somehow what do you prefer 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you could email us uh, through themovementflow at gmail.com. You can go on our website as well. We've got a nice chat button there. You can click it. It goes directly to uh, our systems. Uh, you can message me personally, Slava Golubov, on Instagram or Facebook, or you can message us on Movement Flow through Instagram or Facebook. Uh, I prefer message personally. You know, as big as we are, I'll always take a bit of time to answer any questions. And I usually take about an hour every morning just going through all the Q's and A's. Uh, yeah, that would be the best way to connect with us. But we also have many teachers around the world. So uh, look, put up Movement Flow Japan or put up Movement Flow Taiwan or put Movement Flow Mexico. You'll find somebody. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on, Slava. And um, it's awesome to hear yeah, the story behind yourself and then also the system as well. I think you are building something pretty special and unique out there as well. So I yeah, urge all the listeners, if you're interested in it, check it out, you know, jump on the app. I'd probably have a look myself as well. And um, I really appreciate you for sharing yeah, your time and your perspective here today. Perfect, Payon. And I, my one request is send me your macaco video. We'll, we'll, set, we'll uh, see all the little details and I'm sure you'll be flipping upside down in no time if you haven't already mastered it. Thanks for the interview. It was an awesome podcast. All right, guys, that was it featuring Slava Golubov, episode 63 on The Passive Hang. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Hope you guys go out and check out his work. You can find it on the app or any of the upcoming workshops. I know if he was in my area, I'd definitely be going down. It looks like he's really thought through a very interesting system of how to approach this floor-based movement, which I really love. It's a very fun part of the practice. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening all the way through. Thanks for sticking around and supporting the Passive Hang. Remember, if you want to get in touch, you can send me a message either on the website, that's on thepassivehang.com, or you can find me on Instagram at P, that's at P-H-A-O-N-P, and send me a direct message. All right, guys, that's it for today. I will see you in the next episode, and thank you for listening.